We want to talk this morning, jumping right back into behind where we were last Wednesday, uh, the idea of crowned with glory and honor. You know, so the Bible gives us a lot of much needed information about life, about God, about how we were created, about why we were created, uh, who we are as humans. What, what does that even mean to really be human? Uh, embedded in, in, in the revelation are these stories, Genesis, like Genesis 1, 2, and 3. These, these, these stories, and all throughout the book of Genesis, really, they're foundation stories for us to understand who we are, God's plan and His purpose, and then, and then why even Jesus had to come. So, so we have to have these things. I, I, would, I would say do, don't shrug these shoulders off, as, these stories off as like, um, you know, like, I just, that's, that's something religious folks believe. It's really not about religion. It's about life. It's, it's teaching us some foundational things that we have to know about life. And you need to get a firm grasp on these stories because the, the whole revelation of Scripture, especially Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the whole revelation of Scripture all comes right back into those, those three stories we have in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So we're also going to get a glimpse today of God's vision for us as humans. What did God have in mind when he invented us? When he created human beings, what did he have in mind? So now the Bible does not start in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where wheels came off, right? Genesis 3 is where man fell. He failed his responsibility to God and, and we call it the fall, right? That's, the Bible does not begin in Genesis 3. It, it begins in Genesis 1 with this glorious creation, this beautiful, good creation that God had made. And on the sixth day, it says that God created man. He created the humans. He created them male and female, and we know them as Adam and Eve. God created on the sixth day. Now, he had already set everything up in in place, already set it all up. He made it all able to be flourishing and, and growing. He set the atmosphere up. He did everything just right so humans could live. Now scientists are telling us if we just had... Just if the balance was off any, any which way, you know, if the sun was just a little bit closer or the balance of all the, 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 the elements and all those kind of things were any different, that life as we know it would not be able to exist on planet. So isn't it something that God made it just right, created us a home, and put us here with everything that we need to flourish? That's what Genesis 1 tells us, right? But he also does something else. He, he says he created from the ground... We've got this ground, we've got this garden, we've got all these things given, the responsibility, the blessing that's being imparted, the empowerment that's given. It's all set up for humans to thrive under God's oversight. All right? So now, now here, here's an idea, a thought. You, you may want to do this from time to time. This is what I like to do. You know, if, if I separate the Bible into like three parts, I would separate it like this. Okay, we've got Genesis 1 and 2. You've got Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 20. That's the big section right there. And then you've got Revelation 21 and 22. Now, on these two ends, these four chapters, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22, we've got like the ideal. Everything in between from Genesis 3 on over to Revelation 20 is, is pretty chaotic. You got a lot of falling out. You got a lot of problems. You got a lot of sin. You got a lot of things working out. You got God rescuing people left and right. People still getting into trouble and fighting and fussing and wars. All, all kind of stuff from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. But on the ends, you, you've got what God intended when he first made man. And on the other end, on this other book end, Revelation 21 and 22, you got it where God's promise is to turn it all around. All this chaos in between that we call human history. God promises that there will be a new creation. And guess what? Your eternal home is not in heaven. Guess where your eternal home is going to be? It's going to be on earth. A new, new heaven and new earth. God is going to make a new creation, which is going to look a lot like what we have, but better. A lot like what we have, but different. And God is going to come, and it's, you, you got this whole thing. you got to read it. you got to read your Bible. You know what I'm saying? Look at somebody say, read your Bible. Well, don't look at somebody say that. <laughs> you, <laughs> it's going to be like that, okay? It's all right. We're going to we'll turn the volume up a little bit. We'll get your attention. But you've you got this idea that God, he made it good, and, and it started as a garden, and when, when the revelation ends... 21 and 22, the garden has expanded across the entire earth. 
We now have what's called the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. And God renews his creation with resurrection power. That's where the story ends. All right. So we, we've got this promise. It started good. It went bad. God's going to make it good again. That's our promise. That's our hope. All right. All right. So now what we're going to do in Genesis, we, we're going to zoom back into Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. So God has a particular fondness over this particular part of his creation, us as humans. He, on the sixth day, the human project begins. Adam and Eve are given this exalted position over all of creation. Now, all of creation is important. All of it is glorious in its own way, in its own manner. But God has now bringing the humans in, and now he exalts the humans above all else. All right? So let's go to 126, and let's see what it says. All right, can you read this with me? Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. Are you reading with me? And over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That, in, in Hebrew, that's, that's like a poem. That's like a, about three lines of poetry in Hebrew. Okay? And it, it kind of rhymes together in Hebrew. So God created man in his own image. Hmm. It's one of the greatest revelations the Bible brings us right there. Verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God creates. God creates us. Like, like, like a, a, a man would invent an engine or invent a machine, God creates us, humans. He, he invented us. He made us. This, this whole idea of, of God making us, and then he fills us with this idea of his image. Now, we, we've got a couple ideas about creation or, or how things originated. Let's say it like that, origin stories. You, you've got this guy right here. You've got this picture right here. It's what we call evolution picture, right? Now, evolution picture and the picture that is drawn in Genesis 1 and 2, they are not congruent. Okay, I know there's been a lot of theologians trying to mix and mingle, all those kind of things. But that, that one word, make or create, the idea of create, is a whole different ball game than this idea of something crawled out of something, became something, and became something else, and then it went upright, and then got a little straighter, and a little, you know. I said it Wednesday night, I, I've always thought, if evolution was true, then how come we still have monkeys? Now, I know there's adaptation of the species and, and things do change and grow. And God put that kind of makeup in us as, as his creatures all throughout all creation that we can adapt and adjust and those kind of things. But this overall macro view of, of evolution, that, that's, that's, some, that's a different story. Okay? And we've all been exposed to this. And I'm not saying you shouldn't know it. We ought to know all. And Joseph went to Egypt and he, became, he, he learned all this stuff. It, it doesn't hurt. This is what a lot of our culture believes. But this is not the story of Genesis 1 and 2. Now, was it, is it a young earth? Is it six days of creation and all that kind of thing? That's not really what the Bible's trying to convey to us. It's not trying to give us a scientific explanation of what happened. It's literally giving us a philosophical versus, uh, or the, theological idea of what happened. And it's not dealing with all the scientific facts. Genesis doesn't answer all your questions. But what it does, it points you in a particular direction. And it does tell us who created us. And it tells us why he created us. All right? So, so now these, these, these stories, you, you, see, there's always more than one story that the people of God are tempted to believe. They, the Jews go to Egypt. They're, they're tempted to believe the story of the Egyptians, that Pharaoh controls all of creation, all that kind of thing. The gods use Pharaoh. Or are you going to believe Genesis 1 and 2? You see what I'm talking about? All right. And hey, if you want to talk about some of that, we'd, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love, love this kind of stuff. All right, so now, we've got this idea that we as humans are created by God. Say that, created by God. Okay, now think about this. What, what the Bible is giving us is, is this exalted view of, of who you really are, of all the humans. That, you, you know, according to like Genesis 1, you have never just met an ordinary person that you are meeting when you come in contact with humans. You are meeting somebody that God has great desire and purpose and respect for. 
Now, they may have messed up the whole project. But when you meet humans, you are meeting somebody who is in God's mind and is part of God's creation. And not just creation as in general, like all the animals and all the trees and all the farms and all the land and all that kind of, Not just all that in general, but I'm talking about an exalted part of God's creation. Your roots and your origins trace all the way back, not to just the dirt, but all the way back to God. Now you think about that. Now, okay, go, go, go back to my picture again. We covered this Wednesday night, and I don't mean to keep repeating myself, but we, we need to just kind of think through these things and mull over them over and over. Okay, now, if you, if you adopt this story or this story, do you think it's going to greatly affect the way you see yourself, the way you portray your worth, the way you portray the worth of the people around you, and the way you behave? Do you think it's going to affect you? I mean, I always say it like this. You tell people to come from monkeys, they might start acting like them. <laughs> you, you tell people they come from God, uh-oh, that might change the projection of my life. Huh. You were God's idea. You were God's invention, created for great purpose, hope, all of the things he's got in mind. He created you for a reason. Our God, who is a benevolent God, chose to create, and we are part of that. All right, so you are created by God. Now, we're going to fast forward to Psalm 8. This is where we get our title. The idea we're talking about this morning is crowned with glory and honor. It's going to come right out of the, the pages here of Psalm 8. Starting verse number 3. You, you can go back and read some of the other passages there. It's only like nine verses, I believe, if I remember right. Verse 3 and 4, 5 and 6 say this. And it, it's kind of rooted into the Genesis story. You, you can hear the Genesis story as he's writing this, this poetry right here, this song. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? You know what the psalmist was doing one night? He was laying in the back of his pickup truck, looking up at the heavens, clear sky night. Had a little Johnny Cash playing on the radio, thinking about, man. That's a lot up there. You see what I'm talking about? What? He's, he's thinking about the creation. He's looking up at the heavens. Has anybody ever done this besides me? You just get outside and you're like, wow. And then he says, so, so what is man, us, what are the humans that you are mindful of us? And the son of man that you visit us. I mean, you, you look at the vastness of just, just the heavens that we can see. And now they, they show us telescopes and pictures and all these kind of things from these telescopes. They show us all these things that, that it's not just what we see that way into that darkness. If we could look far enough into the darkness, boom, it, it explodes into other galaxies. Now they're saying something like 100 billion galaxies. I mean, it's outrageous out there. And the, and the galaxies, billions of stars made up itself and planets and all that stuff. It's crazy. And you, you start looking at all that and you start, you ask this question, say, why, why would you even give us a second thought or, or, or make it more, why would you even care about my life? What in the world do you keep bothering me about? Why would you even bother with us? You kind of get that feeling. Well, he's going to tell us. For you have made uh, him or, or the humans a little lower than the angels. Now that's an interesting word right there, that word angels. You have made the humans, us, a little lower than the angels. If we were to rewind back to Genesis 1, in the beginning God created, that word God is the word Elohim. And it's almost always denotes God. Sometimes it can denote spiritual beings. The translators chose the word angels. I, I, I would rather it have the word God right there in the translation. And, and other translations do do that. Let's read it like that. For you have made the humans a little lower than God. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You've, you've crowned us with glory and honor. So, so why would God have anything to do with us? We're looking up at the heavens, all this majesty and all this grandeur and all this vastness we see and all these creation and twinkle, twinkle, little star and all that stuff we're looking at. You know, We're looking at all that. And then we think, why would you have anything to do with me? And the psalmist answers the question because God created you and crowned you 
with glory and honor. And God has made us to have dominion over the works of His hands. You have put all things under His feet. Not just under God's feet, but under our feet. So we've been given this exalted position. Now this idea, crowned with glory and honor. Let's just kind of break that apart real quick. Crowned. When you think of something crowned, what do you think of? What, what, what image comes to mind? Like a king, right? Like a king or a winner or a victor or something like that. So, so this is kingly language. You have crowned us as humans. He's given us an idea of who we are and what we're about. And why we're here and, and what God has done and how He's created us. It's kingly language. It's the idea to exalt or to endow with great power and authority. You crowned us with this glory and honor. It's the idea that God has delegated tremendous responsibility to us humans to be kings and queens on the earth over creation. We've got a responsibility over creation. See what I'm talking about? So he's crowned us with glory. What's glory? That's kind of a church word. We don't use that too much in, in, in our normal vernacular. What's the idea of glory? Well, the Hebrew idea is weightiness. If it's a picture... It's something that's, that's like weighty. It carries a lot of weight is what we would say. Or that, that, that guy, when he walks in a room, he carries a lot of weight. He, he's like the boss. You know what I'm talking about? That, that's the idea of glory. So, so God has made us important people that enter into his creation. Now, I, I just want, you know, for most animals, this kind of comes natural. How many of you got pets? You got pets? Unless they're cats. Cats don't go along this, this, with this idea. But like my dog. My dog knows that I've been crowned with something that he hadn't been crowned with. Anybody have a dog like that? And they naturally just submit. I mean, they, they could, he, he literally, my dog's pretty, pretty good sized and pretty strong. He literally could tear into me and make me have a really bad day. But all I got to do is say, ah, ah, ah. I, I put my hand in his mouth and he goes to gnawing and we get all rough and playing and tumble like that and all that kind of stuff. And I say, oh, hey, hey. And he just backs off. What, what, what he knows about the crown. You see what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm just trying to make it see some things that maybe help us, help us understand. Crown with glory and, and then Honor. This magnificence or beauty or majesty, this idea of splendor that God has literally put something on us as humans that no other part of his creation has. What we just read in Genesis 1, it says, then God blessed them. God blessed them. God gave them honor. That's the idea. To honor, it literally is a picture to bow before. When you say bless God or I'm going to bless God or the psalmist talks about blessing God or something like that, it literally is to bow before someone in order to add a blessing to them, add something to them, honor, a gift, something of that nature. Literally, in the picture that we're giving with that God blessed them, that God came before the humans. And I get this, I'm... I don't want to sound crazy, but it's like God stood before the humans and he bowed before them and he honored them and he added to them everything they would need to do the job. That's the picture that's given right there now. And God respected them in front of all of creation. And I just wonder if it was a formal thing. I wonder if God called all of creation and all the angelic hosts all together and said, look, we, we got an inauguration today. You've seen all these, these British. That's about the only kind of empire that we kind of stay connected to. They've got kings and queens and all that kind of thing. You ever seen a, an inauguration? I mean, it, it's a big deal, isn't it? I mean, they throw out, the, they do the dog and pony show and throw everything out. And it's the parade and horse and buggy and all the heads of state and all those people come out because it's a really big deal to inaugurate a king. I wonder if God did that in creation. And God put this blessing upon them and honored them in front of everybody. Because later on in chapter 2, we'll get to that Wednesday night, Lord willing. Later on in chapter 2, all the animals just kind of come to Adam. They know about this crowning. Are you tracking with me? Because y'all sound asleep. 
He's crowned us with glory and honor. Okay. So now what did God crown them with? Now was it, was it a physical crown? I mean, you know, if we were in the presence of a king, we'd all know it. He'd be dressed like one. He'd be honored like one. He'd, he'd have his entourage and all those kind of things. He'd have his scepter, whatever. What, what did God crown them with? Well, he says very specifically. He crowned them with his image and his likeness. And when Adam and Eve walked around, everybody knew that they were the representative of God. Now that word image, that's, that's the word the rest of the text uses for the word idol. Now what is an idol? An idol is like a replica of the God, right? Or the goddess, whatever religion you had in, in pagan world. So Adam and Eve literally were created like the representative of God on the earth. Now, not just Adam and Eve, but us as humans were created to be the representative of God on the earth. Literally, maybe the shadow or, or the reflection of God. Something about it. Now, it's just got its limits. We're not God, but we're, we're created to be like Him. And see, now, if you don't know this, if you don't know who you are, and you don't know that you are the image of God, then a snake can come along later and tell you who you think you are, who he thinks you ought to be, and you'll bite into it. If you don't know who you are, somebody else will tell you, and it'll end up in a mess, and there'll be a great fall. You see where the story goes? So now, God somehow, gets a little mystical right here, God somehow filled Adam and Eve, the humans, with himself. Hmm. Does Jesus talk about anything like this? About us being filled with the Spirit? Uh, is that our idea of being filled with the Spirit? Is that, is that just about all the, what the Pentecostals call speaking in tongues or, or the, the having great church services and the war? That was a Spirit filled movement we had today. Is that what this is about? No, being filled with the Spirit is about us reclaiming and becoming again the image of God and being humans like God made us in the first place. You see what I'm talking about? Now Paul would later kind of, kind of pull on that same point and he said, Beloved, don't you know that you are the temple of God? See again, if, if he's talking to a bunch of pagans in Corinth when he writes that. They knew that the temple was the place where the idol was. That's the place where the God lives. And now Paul directs it to all the believers and he says, Don't you know that you are the place, you are the temple where God lives? You are The, the image of God is on the inside of you as a believer in Christ? You see, the Corinthians had got themselves mixed up in all kinds of immorality and all kinds of stuff. And they were called to live in this exalted place of glory and honor. And they were instead living down here in the gutter. So now, why do we look for Jesus, or why do we look to Jesus for help? Why, why do we look to Him? Well, in a few weeks we'll get into the, the, the failure part of the story. As, as you all know, the, the, we fail miserably in this project. Not just them, but us. And in Romans 3.23, it says this. Now, now tie it with what we just talked about, the humans being crowned with glory and honor. See if this makes any sense to you. We've got this... Human project to take care of God's earth, to take care of creation. All have sinned in this project and fall short of the glory of God. And not to add anything to the text, but just to clarify. Fall short of the glory of God that He put on us as humans. That He crowned us with. And we fall short. Hmm. So where, where does Jesus come in? Jesus is the one who came down from heaven to redeem us out of that fallenness and then restore us back to the glory and honor. This is what God intended. This is why we look to Jesus, right? This is why I'm saying you, you've got to know this Genesis 1 and 2 stuff now. Colossians 1.15 uses some language that pulls us right back into Genesis. He says this about Jesus. Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, say it with me, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Where we failed, now Jesus comes on the scene 
And he shows us what Jesus says it like this. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. He says stuff like that. Well, that's Genesis language. That's going back all the way to that image and likeness thing. Why do we look to Jesus for help? Because in this project of being human, he's the only one that got it right. You see what I'm talking about? All right, let's get some more information. Let's, let's, let's flip on to chapter 2. Genesis 2, 7. Am I blowing your Sunday school brain? Are you all right? <laughs> Genesis 2, 7. We get some more information. Genesis 2 kind of expounds on some of the things that happened on the sixth day. Look, look what he says. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. All right, so we get, get a little bit more information here. Now, this idea of formed. Okay, so we saw the idea of created in Genesis 1. Getting more into the Eden story in Genesis 2, it says that God formed, formed us. Now, what does it mean to form? It, it, it's like to fashion or to shape something. It's like a craftsman who would build something out of, out of wood or, or metal or something like that. A craftsman would bring things together and he would fashion it or form it together, right? Or maybe like an artist who would create something. Or, or maybe, maybe one of the ideas is the idea of like a potter. A potter who would take the, the, the clay and they would form it and shape it. Anybody ever seen the, the potter at the potter's wheel? Ever done that kind of thing? I know the first time I saw that was years ago in, in Gatlinburg. They, they had this little display and somebody was on, a, on one of them wheels that they spin with their feet. And you're pumping the thing and, and the clay's going on there. And that person just, I just sitting there fascinated and mesmerized. And I, I didn't even know this idea was right here in Genesis 2. But this idea, they take that old lump of clay and, you know, they might get a little water. They may even add a little clay to it. And they're just sitting there and what are they doing? Molding, in fact. In fact, I'm reminded of a prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, who was called to the potter's house to take a look at that. Right? So this is the idea of form. Now, we'll think about this. When God formed man, Adam in particular right here, when God formed Adam, he created him with his hands. Everything else he spoke into existence. And now we're getting fine-tuned into the idea of this relationship between God and mankind right now. That God, through His touch, made us. Formed us. Huh. So now, we are formed and made by the touch of God. And now, you know what, as humans, you know what we crave as much as anything, whether you realize it or not, you know what we crave? We crave the touch of God on our lives. You know why? That's how we came into being. We, we crave God to put His hands on us, to, to, to invade our lives and to make Himself known and to fashion and form me. That's, that's the picture here. That's a lot of our prayer. Lord, help me. We, we sing a song, make me, mold me, use me. Well, that's Genesis language. That's how we started. That's how we're going to be sustained and that's how we're going to be victorious. It's through the touch of God. So now, now to Jesus again. Jesus goes around. The scripture says it like this. that He's, he's, he's laying hands on people. He, he's touching people. And things are happening. I mean, he's touching, I mean, he's touching people that ain't supposed to be touched. Like lepers come to him. And, and Jesus reaches out to somebody who is forbidden to be touched. I mean, they, they, they live without the touch all their life because of their disease and the transmission of their disease. They, lived with, they live without the touch. And Jesus goes to this leper and just touches him. What in the world is Jesus doing? He's bringing back the touch of God. See what I'm talking about? And when Jesus touches people who may be in sin or sickness or some, some, kind of, some kind of chaos. When he touches them, what happens to them? They're healed. They're healed. They're renewed. And Jesus tells us, even as Christians, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. He, he says that kind of thing. What, what is that? Well, that's that touch. That's what that's symbolic of. I, I'm, I'm not God. 
when I lay hands on people, I'm just symbolically doing it, not just out of obedience, but in the idea that if I lay my hands on you as God's image and representative, I'm believing God's going to intervene and do something. Hmm. Does that make sense now? So God with his touch. And then he does something else. What did the text say? Then, then God did something else. God <sighs> breathed on them. Almost, it's almost like a mouth-to-mouth type resuscitation type thing. That, that literally God, in order to animate or to give life to Adam, he, he does something extremely remarkable. He, with his breath, breathes into man. And that hunk of clay that had been fashioned into something about six foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds, cut out of rock, chiseled, boom, 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 boom. You know what I'm talking about? God breathes into him, and Adam wakes up. He's alive. So now we get another idea of of, of how God has honored us. He didn't do this with any other creation. God breathes into us, so He's first formed us with His hands, and now He gives us life with His breath. Hmm. So us as humans. I know we got a lot of parts, and they tell us what's it, something like 70% water, 75%, what are we, something like 75% water, Doc, something like that? Kind of like the earth, the earth, same way. Earth about 70, 72% water. We're about the same way. In a real simplified idea, we are made up of two things. The earth and the breath. Job kind of picked up on that. Dust we are and to dust we return. Is that a, is that a fact? That, that happens, doesn't it? Another writer says, then our breath or our spirit goes to the God who gave it. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. So, so I'm, I'm part earth. So, so there's something real connected to us being a part of the earth. To, to tilling the ground, cutting the grass, taking care of things, planting flowers, doing all the things, being outside, hunting, just getting the, you know, we, we, what, we, what do we say? We're cooped up in an office, we're cooped up in a building like this, and we say things like this, I've got to go outside so I can get, yeah, get some air. I've got to get out of this man-made space, I've got to step into the, the God-made space so I can get my head clear. I don't know about you. I mean, you can go to your, your vacations to all the crazy, chaotic theme parks and all that kind of stuff. But when I really want to recharge and when I really want to revive, I, I go to the woods and I go to the mountain. And I'm not talking about where Dollywood is. I'm talking about where nobody but wood is. <laughs> Why? Why do we have such a tendency to want to? You guys that hunt and do all that kind of thing. Why do you do that? I mean, you go out there and you spend 75 days and you see two deer. Why do you keep going? Why do you keep going? Well, because it's not about the deer. We, we, we like that. You know what it's about? It's about you being out there in that. You see what I'm talking about? Because that's, that's part of me. That's not the only part. It's not necessarily the most important part, but, it, but it's part of me. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm closer to God and when I'm like that. In fact, whenever you see people in the Bible go pray, where do they go? They go to the mountain to pray. Why do you do that? Well, that's, that's part of who we are. And the other part comes directly from God. Now, life's just kind of a mystery. We're, we're not, we, we know when it begins. Well, we, re, we do. Some folks don't. We know when life begins and we know when it ends. But, but all that in between, what we call life, is just a mystery. It's a mystery to medical science. They're trying to figure it all out. But you know why it's a mystery? Because it came from God. It's beyond things from this realm. It's the life that sustains you and animates you. Is that part of God? Now what you do with it, that's going to be real important. But here's a thought. Here's a thought. The breath given to Adam that day has been passed down from generation to generation 
to every human being. And the breath that animates you today is spawned off of the breath that God gave Adam on that day. You understand that? That's crazy. That I'm still breathing out of that same breath. <laughs> Later the revelation will tell us that the word for spirit and the word for breath is the same. Hmm. So God breathed into us. Okay, so now let's get a little bit more before we go. The next verse, verse 2, and then skip on over to verse 15. It says this, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man. It's just Adam for now. We're going to get Eve on the scene next on Wednesday night, okay? All you girls, come on. We're going to talk about Eve a little bit. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now, I want, I want to show you my little cartoon drawing I did. Well, it's not really a drawing. It's more clip art. But Okay, so this is kind of the picture we got. Okay, so God separated the waters, right? He, he, waters, this, is the, this will be the, the globe here. God separated the waters and the land. And he separated the heavens. We see that in, in Genesis 1. This is the atmosphere right here. We've got day and night, right? And did you see the picture? What, what's that? you got to read it very carefully. There's this idea of land, and then there's re, this region among the land. This will help you out a whole lot to understand our purpose on this earth. There's this land that God has separated out of the waters. And he called it that. He called it dry land. And then there's this other region on the land that's called Eden. And in the middle of Eden is this garden. All of God's creation is good, but the, at the garden, is really good. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever, have you ever been to a place, in fact, when, when, I, when I lived in Georgia for a long time, I had a place that it was, it was ran by the University of Georgia. I had, had a garden I went to. It was a beautiful place. Beautiful, beautiful. It was just, just some land in the middle of town. That they used it for some of the uh, horticulture majors and all the scientific experiments and all that kind of stuff. But it was right in the middle of, of, of the little town. You had all the chaos and all the streets. And then you would pull up down this little driveway and you would get out. And somebody had spent a lot of time and effort. And there were flowers of all kinds. And there were walk paths. And there were pavilions. And there was a few acres of it. And you just walk. And, and that, that garden, it was... Every, the, the, the town was not bad. But that garden, man, it was awesome. You ever been to a garden like that? Anybody ever been to Callaway Gardens in Georgia over there? Or, or maybe a, a conservatory, is that what they call them? Or, or something like that, a conservation place where they have all, what do they call them? Bot botanical gardens or something of that nature kind of thing. They got one in Mobile, don't they? They do a Christmas thing. What's it called? Bell and Graf. Yeah, that kind of thing. You, I mean, there's something about them. You, you see that, that's, oh, it's God's creation, but, but a man took care of that and helped. Put that in and God and him partnered or God and her partnered together and made this beautiful place. Huh. So you see that? This is the way it's worded and this is the way I picture it. God made Adam out here in the land and he took him. It says he took him and he rested him is what it literally the, the, is. It's the verb of the word Noah. God took the man out of the land and he rested him. He planted him right in the garden. And this is going to be his home. Okay, you see? And from this garden, man is going to rule and subdue and tend and keep are the four words we've got. So humans are given responsibility to take care of God's creation. And the idea, the understanding is that they're going to partner with God in everything that they do. And they're going to represent God in everything they do. And the glory and honor that they have received, they will now use that glory and honor to bring glory and honor to God. Hmm. And they are told to have dominion. Have dominion. Now what, what does that mean? We'll get the next slide. To have dominion. Now if you look at the word dominion, and just from an English standpoint, what, what, what word do you see in Dominion. Like dominate, right? Now that's, 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 that's one way it can go, right? 
If you've been given rule, you can use your rule to dominate and you can become a tyrant or dictator. So, so man, man is told to take care and have dominion or to rule over the creation. How are you going to rule? You, you can be a tyrant or you can be a gracious, benevolent king. Hmm. We see examples all throughout the story of people doing this. Some of them are good and some of them are really, really bad at it. Nebuchadnezzar is really, really rough at it. In fact, what Nebuchadnezzar does, instead of him being a representative of God, he builds this statue, and guess who it looks just like? <laughs> mm-hmm. So now let's, let's consult Jesus on this ruling thing. Let's consult him. Let's go, go to Mark chapter 10. Just two quick verses. Jesus talks about ruling. Now go back in your mind. We're going to be in here with Jesus in Mark 10, but in your mind, stay, stay over in Genesis 1 and 2, too. Keep those connected. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. That's the tyrant thing. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. So now God's given us all these things to rule, things to do in our life. How are you going to be? Just, just so you know, our, one of the governing principles of our nation is built on this idea. Now we're starting to lose a grip on it. Pretty strong, actually. That, that we used to not call them politicians. They used to be called what? Public servants. Because what was the understanding? That they were there, and even our founding fathers, they, they, they didn't get paid for what they did. They actually invested into it. It's a whole different ballgame. Now they go up there and they, get, they become millionaires in about a year or two. It's a whole different deal, isn't it? But, but, but you're not allowed to govern us without our consent because we're, we're not built on this tyrannical, you tell me what to do, tell me how to run my business. That's not the way this nation was founded. That's the way it's evolving. And I dare say it's because we've lost sight of all of the Bible stuff. We're losing sight of this whole story. So now how would the world be if everyone ruled like Jesus does? It'd be a little different place than it is now. All right, we'll wrap it up with this. Go back to my little picture. Here's the picture that's given. Adam and Eve are to tend and take care of this garden. And they are to expand this garden until it takes over the entire world. That's the idea. They're to take dominion, rule, and subdue. They're going to subdue all this. That's where I get that idea. They're going to take all of this. It's, not, it's good, but it's just not cultivated. And they're going to expand this garden. They're going to bring other humans into the project. Be fruitful and multiply. Go ahead and do that. Fill the earth. Bring, bring other humans into this project. Teach them how to do this. And let's, let's take this whole idea and let's cover the earth with it. Hmm. Until the whole world looks like the garden. Well, that's Revelation 21, 22. Now, how does all this relate to me? We'll close it with this. See, this, this is a story that's to be overlaid on top of our story so that we learn how to live our life. So now, God gave all that to Adam and Eve. How does this relate to me? You've been given a life. That life, it, it, it may consist of a career or some skills, some property or vehicle. You've been, you've been given a life. It may, you may have children in that life. You've got responsibilities. You, you've been given a life. Another analogy is you, you've been given a kingdom. And you, you're, you're a king or queen over your own kingdom. Starting with yourself. You've got to learn to govern and rule yourself. That's the first thing a king learns to do is, is self-control. Because if you can't self-control, don't try to mess with me. You understand what I'm talking about? That's where a lot of leadership breaks down. 
You've been given this kingdom. And that kingdom involves you and everything that's attached to you that's been put into your care. Another idea, I use this idea in, in, in the marriage ceremony a lot. You've been given a garden. You've been placed in a garden. Now, your garden is not in Eden. It's in Alabama. It's a little different than Eden, ain't it? And your garden's probably not as nice as what they had. Your garden likely is a mess or has been a mess. It's been marred by sin and brokenness and hurt and pain and loss. And there's a lot of weeds in your garden, right? A lot of weeds in our gardens. It's not cultivated very well. and Probably that garden's not producing everything that you want. And in this project of the kingdom and, and the garden that I've, I've been given oversight into, this, this project can be way overwhelming. In fact, because when, when I come on the scene, it, it, everything's jacked. Everything's messed up. I mean, even the folks I'm living with, as a kid, the folks I'm living with, they're, they're not all that together. So what are we going to do? This is what Jesus offers us. You've got a kingdom and you've got a garden. And you've got a desire inside of you that's, that's innate. It came straight from God. You've got a desire inside of you to rule. That's why when, when, when boys, especially girls too, but when, when, when they get to be about that 16, 17, 18 years old, uh, those teenage years, you know, boys and girls, those teenage years, that, that desire to rule starts rising up. It, it did with me and my dad. In fact, I, one day I did rise up. <laughs> I mean, it, it was kind of comical now. I thought I was going to die then. <laughs> Daddy told me I wasn't going to do something. I, I, I had plans on doing. I had a date that night and I had the car keys and I had smarted off to mom and something happened. And, and Daddy coming to my bedroom and, and I, I'm sitting on the edge of my bed getting ready. He grabs the keys and he said, the keys are mine. Put them in his pocket. And, and, I, and he's standing like three feet from me at the bed. And I, and I said, what are you doing? And I just, I stood up. And he and I are about the same height at this time. I, I, I've been six foot two since I was 12 years old. <laughs> so, so I, but I also weighed about 130 pounds. So that's a little bit different viewpoint. But I, I just jumped up like this right here. And my daddy was just a six inch punch. He went, just like that right there. My elbows went into sheetrock. I flew across the bed. My elbow went into sheetrock. And daddy said, don't ever stand up on me again. This is my house. And if you stand up on me again, I know this ain't proper. You ain't supposed to say stuff like this to kids nowadays. But my daddy raised me different than all y'all been raised. My daddy said, you stand up on me again, and I'll kill you. And something inside of me said, yeah, yeah, I believe. I I believe you're going to. (laughs) You understand? What was my daddy... Somebody was, some people say he was a tyrant. Well, no, no, there was another king trying to take over. You know, that kind of thing. But what I'm saying is that, 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 that this is mine. That, that, that rises up. In fact, it's in, it's in two-year-olds. You know what? Little Lily walking around this, this church, you go over there and you try to get one of her cookies. What's she going to say to you? She goes, nah, mine. All of us are like that. All of us did that, didn't we? You know what? We come on the scene knowing that we are made to rule. We come on the scene like that. And now parenting becomes the challenge to raise these kings and queens to know how to rule properly. And that's tough. That's real tough. So here's what Jesus offers. He says you need a partner to do all that. You need a partner. And bring yourself into relationship with me. Yoke, he says, literally, yoke yourself to me. And you need Jesus to come into your life and show you how to live your life and how to rule your kingdom and how to take care of this garden. And if you know anything about the Bible, I just covered about 25 Bible stories with just that one little sentence. That's where he comes in. And the first thing he has to do is he has to wash me of my sins because you know what? I made a mess of it. And once he washes me of my sins, then, then we can get on with the project. See, forgiveness, we, we sing about it. We sing about it a couple times a day. But that's just the starting point. Then God wants to begin to restore my life so I can take care of this kingdom. And this is what I've learned. My kingdom works best 
when it's underneath the oversight of his kingdom. If I can use this, this without sounding arrogant, this king rules best when he's under the kingship of the king of kings. That's how it's supposed to work. And God has honored us as humans and crowned us with glory and honor. Do you know that? Do you know that? Or are you just trying to get through the day? We're just trying to get through the paycheck. And just trying to work towards the vacation. We're just trying to exist and live. Or have you realized that God's got a great purpose here in your life? So here we are in Gilbertown. Does Gilbertown need a little bit of work? So this is our Eden. Parts of it are great and beautiful. Other parts not doing so good. So we're called together as a community of believers right here. What are we going to do? Can we do anything about it? If we get the help we need, we can. Let's pray. Ah, Lord, help us. We need a lot of help. We need to reorient our brains and get our minds wrapped around this deal. We need to hear this. That we're literally more than we've ever thought about being. Help us, Lord. Give us eyes to see. Oh, we see a lot of stuff, but it's really not the right stuff. Help us to see the right stuff. This revelation of who we are and maybe, maybe who we can be. Especially for our young people, Lord. Help them to see this vision that you've got over their lives. you got great things for them to do. But you called them to be rulers. So Lord, fill us. Touch us. Help us. We, we can't, we've already tried this on our own. That's what got us in the mess in the first place. We need you to help us, Lord. Teach us to be who you created us to be. Forgive us where we failed. Give us wisdom where we lack it. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus, who is the in image of the invisible God. Amen. Amen.